0: This is a planner who really did kind of see every angle and know how it would play out.
1: As they were filming it, they had no ending. They had begun filming (laughs) it, and they had no
0: ending. How often do you get to see a vat of acid in a movie as well?
1: (laughs) Of course, your holiday season needed to be a little bit more frightful, and that's where we come in. Glad you're here. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com. Glad you're here as we're going to talk about planning, evil genius planners, right? So maybe that's this year. It's how to hide all your all your presents and get them so nobody finds them and all that stuff. But no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about crimes. We're talking about murders. We're talking about frightful stuff that's what we do so we'll get to that and we got a special guest to help us out and we have two almost completely different lists which is fun it makes it a lot more uh, a lot easier to talk about a a bunch of films and a couple that i've kind of forgotten about so we'll get into that but we want to we want to thank everybody for the really unusually positive response to the last podcast which was about incest
2: it's funny because we, we put that off for like three years, and we tried to get co-hosts. We, have, Whenever we have co-hosts, I usually throw out a whole bunch of potential topics. No one ever were like, oh, yeah, let's talk about incest. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But, yeah, people really liked it. We had actually a couple people, good people, Tammy and Melissa, both a little a little worried maybe that so many of the movies on our list are all-time favorites of theirs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's something between you know a person and their therapist. Is, that's all personal stuff, and we're going to get into it, but good luck with it.
2: We did miss a few. Seth would have included Dogtooth, which is a great oh, movie.
1: Oh, love Dogtooth. Yeah, well, I we, we were just talking today at lunch, that we love anything of Yorgos Lanthimos, anything, and love that movie, but not quite sure I would have thought of it as a horror movie, but okay.
2: Yeah, I suppose to a certain degree, almost everything he's made can be seen as a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose. Uh, But then the other one, and this is I was excited about because I had entirely forgotten about In the Folds of the Flesh, which is a just totally fucked up 1970s Spanish, just nutty, oh my God. And I had completely forgotten that it exists. So it would have been fun to just talk about it. I'm sure it wouldn't have made the list, but it would have been fun to just talk about.
1: Well, good call, Seth.
2: Yeah. And then the other one, and I I feel bad about this because Phantom Dark Dave actually messaged us sometime before we did this podcast to remind us of... Amityville 2 uh, the prequel and that would have been a good to at least mention I and, I and I forgot to do that but that that's actually my favorite of the Amityville which is weird to say but it was a Damiano Demiani movie so it's like kind of post giallo Italian mm-hmm. nuttiness and it it's very weird so <laughs> Phantom Dark Dave, we're sorry we forgot about it. Okay
1: so that's pretty much uh, covering last time out and we're looking ahead to today where we talk about planners and how how did this come about? How did this topic come about? Corey's idea. Corey Metcalf, our special guest, Man from the Future, checking in from
0: down under. How are you, Corey? I'm very well, guys. Happy to be back. Yeah, glad to have you back. So you came up with this one? Yeah, it's it's kind of that thing with you guys, you know? I'll be watching a horror movie and I'll go... Hey, that's a great idea for a show. I should get in contact with those guys. I'm sure they'll have me on again.
1: <laughs> and do are you like, Hope, do you just automatically start forming a list in your mind, like right away? Ooh, I bet I could think of five.
0: Exactly. You know, it's just one of those things of just like, I'm, I'm sure they haven't talked about this. And I look it up and I've got a list in my head and then it evolves. And uh, you guys obviously come up with stuff real quick, so... Yeah, it's always a lot of fun.
1: Well, that's great because, as I said, looking at these two lists, they're almost completely different. So, um, and, and a few of these, I know, especially on your list, we haven't talked about ever in the 100. I believe this is uh, episode 192. So that's that's a lot of episodes not to cover any of these <laughs> films. And they're worth talking about, too. So that's
0: good. Yeah, well, and I mean, there's even one on there that I'm surprised you guys put on there because we have talked about it before, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, yes.
1: Yes, we will. So uh, we'll just go back and forth, right? That's probably the best way. Just five, five, four, four until we get to the top. But until we do that, do you have any hope? Do you have any, um, you know, under the radar, almost, almost made it honorable mention types?
2: Actually, no, because a couple of the ones that I was kicking around wound up being on Corey's list anyway. But Corey, I know you have one, which I totally agree with. You have one that you wanted to mention. Didn't quite make the list, but is worth noting.
0: Yeah, I had it on there. I had it off there. But I did really want to mention it. And that is Murder by Numbers. The characters are Richard Haywood and Justin Pendleton. Uh, The film itself stars Sandra Bullock as a you know, police officer, forensics, that sort of thing. And and the film kind of follows this plan of these two killers who want to commit a crime, contaminate with false forensics and that sort of thing. It's a very interesting film, uh, more of a thriller than it is a horror film, but it's a film that I really love, mostly because of the performances of Michael Pitt and Ryan Gosling.
1: Yeah, those two great you know, early looks at two uh, great actors, just when they were really coming being known, you know, and they were really young at the time and I agree with you, They're definitely worth checking out just for them, really.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's really, I think it's the third time that case was made into movies. Rope is based on that case mm-hmm. and then, Why can I not think of the other one? There's another one that might be just like a made-for-TV, and I ah, I can't think of the name of it. But yeah, uh, to see Tommy knows this. I mean, you know, anything Michael Pitt does, and obviously anything Ryan Gosling does, it is, I think, really fun. And it's interesting because it's a Sandra Bullock movie back when she was at the height of being Sandra Bullock. But when when you remember it, she's not what you remember. She was what? She's like a grizzled detective. No, she wasn't. But the other two, and I love two, you know, it's like they plan this all out, and then, of course... One of them throws up. Well, then you're just screwed. I mean, you're just completely screwed. So it was. Uh, I agree with you, Corey. It's it's a fascinating movie.
1: You know, though, that's nothing. Remember the one I think it was called A Stranger Among Us. Remember when Melanie Griffith played a grizzled detective? Ooh, yeah. Is that what yeah. it was called? Uh, maybe. <laughs> There's a list right there we can start getting into, but we won't. We won't. Um, that's no. That's that's a good one to uh, you know rate a mention. But, uh, alright, so we've got a bunch to talk about So let's get into it, who wants to go first? Are we going first, or is Corey? Okay, Corey, let's go first with your number five And this is one I'm glad to talk about Because I really enjoyed it, go ahead
0: Yeah, I, I saw this one when it first came out Fell in love with it So my number five is Earl Brooks And Marshall, for that matter In Mr. Brooks Oh, oh I thought you might be interested in this This is
1: the police party Who is looking for you
0: Wow, we've
2: never known anyone who was looking for us before. We're going to have to find out everything there is to
0: know about this woman. This is close, Marshall. This is too damn close.
1: That's from 2007, and that, that is a hoot. I haven't seen it in a while, but the main thing I, re- I remember taking away from that movie is just it seemed like Kevin Costner and William Hurt were having a ball. Like, they really didn't care if Dane Cook was there or not. They were just, they, they were going off each other and they were loving it.
0: Yeah, the two of them playing off each other, especially William Hurt, who, uh, you know, is basically an imaginary friend, if you will. That kind of uh, malevolence, this kind of conscience kind of character to Kevin Costner's serial killer character. Yeah, those two are just amazing.
2: I do think. I mean, I enjoy the movie. I, I I really do, and that's reason. That's the reason. It's it's the the interplay between those two. But when you take a step back from it for a second, you just got to. How many serial killers does this one town have? Because it's not just Dane Cook who's hoping to become a serial killer. It turns out there's another one in the family that you don't know about until later on. And I remember at the, at one point thinking that just that seems like a lot for one town
0: to me. Well, and the old classic. Of having your bad guy and your good guy cup character, who in this case was played by Demi Moore, kind of working in tandem, but never actually meeting, you know, and I kind of love that in storytelling.
1: Mm -hmm. It's fun to follow along with. But boy, they just Costner and William Hurt just make it so much more fun. They always keep your attention.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's an it's a blast to watch the two of them just be sort of. Maniacal together.
1: Yeah,
0: and I guess you know, being the theme of of planning as well is having a, a an extremely organized serial killer, someone who lives in society but is often very well planned in how they do their killing in order to make sure they get away with it. You know, and I think that's actually something that's going to be a little bit different than the other ones I had on my list in that it's a killer who you think might ha- be falling apart throughout the film. Um, and, and the plan, uh, actually sort of steers that.
2: Actually, it's funny because it just made me think of one that I probably should have on the list that I don't, which is the original vanishing, which is very similar, oh, yeah. right? He's got a very uh. specific plan and, and the reason that he gets away with everything he gets away with is because he's just such an ordinary guy.
1: That's a good one, and you got you have to go with the original, not not the remake.
2: Exactly. Sure. Speaking of Sandra Bullock,
1: <laughs> of the Vanishing. <laughs> but no, uh, Mr. Brooks, good one from 2007. That is uh, Corey's number five, and our number five is from the 1986 film April Fool's Day, and it's Muffy. <laughs>
2: Or Buffy, I guess. It just depends. How you wanna go with it. And why do I
1: wanna talk like this? (laughs) I wanna I wanna say it's Muffy or it's Buffy.
2: And I wonder if this one sprung to mind, Corey, just because I knew you were going to be on our uh, hosting with us, because I think you're the only person I've ever really talked about this movie with before. <laughs> um, and again, it's absolutely just ridiculous, but it's so perfectly 1980s, first of all, that not only does, uh, you know, 80 staple Deborah Foreman, who's in like every third movie that came out.
1: Right. Valley Girl, of course. Right.
2: Horror or not. But then also Amy Steele from the uh, the second um Right, the 13th movie. Right. But, no, I think
0: I might be the president of the Amy Steele fan club.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it is, as we talked about, uh, the last time we talked about this movie, I mean, the whole thing is sort of backward constructed. So the movie itself kind of deconstructs slashers, but the whole plot is that she has planned this whole thing out because they're testing out this idea of a killer, you know, you pay to go on this weekend where people get murdered. And it's really very, it's really very clever in that. Actually, I think in both ways. In the one, that it sends up the slasher genre. And in the other, the way that that send up is so cleverly constructed with the plot.
0: Well, yes. And and of course, spoiler alert for uh, this, what, uh, 34-year-old film now? But (laughs) we did talk about this uh, last time I was on in our Nobody Dies horror list. uh, A a bit of a cheat that I put it on there because, yes, the ending is that it was all just a big uh, murder mystery slasher-themed horror weekend. And... and, uh, yeah, it, I think that's the important thing of it is that people could look at this and just go, oh, yes, it's just some other slasher themed around a day of the year. And uh, it's really not that because, like you said, it does it deconstructs the horror movie tropes and then plays them out and then, yes, reveals the overall plan. So yeah, it, it is actually a really interesting look at the horror genre.
1: But what's interesting about that that you bring up is just the fact that it was light on violence that would that enabled it to get a Bunch of showings on late night TV and that helped it get a cult following. So in a way, the fact that it was like you said, like nobody dies, it got it more airings on TV and more people saw it.
2: Yeah, which is kind of funny because you unless you watch it all the way to the end, you don't realize that the violence isn't real. You don't realize that those severed heads aren't real. So it is kind of a funny thing, but but they're not They're, You know, those people are all alive and well at the end. So it may as well be a love boat episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Why not show
1: it? Oh, might as well be a Love Boat episode. I didn't see Gopher anywhere. (laughs) All right, that is our number five, Muffy from April Fool's Day, 1986. So let's go to Corey's number four. Ooh, I like this. This is a classic.
0: Yes, my number four is Tony Wendis from Dial M for Murder. What would you tell them? Everything. Everything? All about Mr. Adams and Mr. Wilson? I should simply tell them that you're trying to blackmail me into, into murdering your wife. I almost wish you would. When she heard that, we'd have the biggest laugh of our lives. Now, if I may shamelessly plug for a moment, I do have my Hitchcock movie podcast called Presenting Hitchcock, and uh, we do have an upcoming episode on dial in murder and that's kind of what brought this to mind for me. It does, in a sense, make me think of Murder by Numbers. I think Murder by Numbers probably took a lot from this, but this idea of having such a plan and having that presented to us throughout a large portion of the film, and then getting into that plan playing out so you can see where things start to fall apart. You know, you kind of see, oh, they've forgotten this, or they've done this a different way. That you know they probably shouldn't have done it that way because now that's going to sort of snowball down the hill. So yeah, it's such an an interesting film in Hitchcock's canon in that Hitchcock loves to give you a very well thought out story, but in this case he really gives you that well thought out story, uh, and then plays on the uh, the film kind of discovery of it all.
1: Yeah, and it's always fun to go back and see a real. Real live noir in its own environment. You know, we see a lot of neo noir. We see a lot of a lot of films that uh, are noir homages. But to go back to the real thing. You know, when it was when it was new, and seeing a, a good good solid uh, noir like this is always fun. Also, Ray Land. I guarantee. Oh yeah.
2: We've never talked about Ray Land on this podcast before. That,
1: that's a crime in itself.
2: <laughs> One of the things I love about this movie it is incredibly. Uh, showy in how well written it is like he's daring you to sort of pick apart the writing. And I love how much even though you're rooting against Rameland, you really are. As his plan crumbles, because he's been so thoughtful about it, as his plan crumbles and he and he quickly tries to sort of, you know, uh, fix it and and sew it back up. It's like you, the audience who want him to get caught. We don't hate Grace Kelly. She's much too attractive to hate. But still, (laughs) we're anxious for Ray Milan because this is all just crumbling in front of him.
0: Well, and having uh, a killer who is set up as being a killer, at least a mastermind in this case, thinking that they are coming at things from every single angle. They have thought about everything. There is nothing that can go wrong because I am so smart and the police will never catch me. But uh, that's just never the case. You know, it's, it's something also that Hitchcock explored in Strangers on a Train. Yep. You know. So. And also in, in Rope too oh yeah absolutely absolutely so you know it it is very hitchcock in in that respect but i think dial in for murder just in terms of the planning stages and everything is the one that sticks out to me the most
1: yeah that's great a classic dial in for murder from 1954 uh so that's Corey's number four let's go to our number four i would not call this a classic this is from 1981 and the planner is Anne from happy birthday to me because of the bizarre nature of this birthday party, pray you are not invited. My, my biggest takeaway from this, the first time I saw it, was what is Glenn Ford doing in this movie?
2: <laughs> well, J. Lee Thompson directed it, who did Cape Fear and Guns of Navarone. So I don't think I have the feeling that people didn't know going into it that this was going to be such a shitty movie and it is but it's one of those shitty 80s movies that i can watch a hundred times and undoubtedly have
1: and then glenn ford shows up to the set the first day and goes is that the girl from little house on the prairie
2: (laughs) yes and we're going to drive her mad mad i tell you i just think it's fun it's a fun one of those bad 80s movies and there are about 90 that are very very similar to this where she's the your sort of beautiful innocent popular lead but she's got something wrong with her head and you're not quite sure what it is and that's all going to unravel but at the same time she's trying to figure out what's going on all of her friends are dying and they're dying or disappearing and she's blacking out and the whole thing at the end involves a big latex face which is so unlikely to really happen um but i think even the first time i saw this when i was a kid on and i was watching it on tv probably on usa up all night the fact that the dad really does die believing it is his own daughter who is murdering him and who has killed all of these people just killed me and it is so funny cuz it's a bad film in really most respects but that moment maybe because he is talented that moment kind of leaves you a little
0: shaken i think well, and they nail it with the uh, the box cover art i i'm a big old vhs box cover art fan and uh, <laughs> of course this one had Just a gaping face uh, being attacked with a beef skewer. No, yeah, it's such a great image. It really
2: is.
0: (laughs) I love that kind of stuff.
1: And I think one of the reasons that this was so bad is because, according to a a lot of the research I dug up about this film, as they were filming it, they had no ending. They had begun filming it, (laughs) and they had no ending. And so there were reports about that they had they filmed different endings because of the twist and no they had no ending they did it as they went along and that's why really when you get to the end it's not like there's a lot of build up there like if they would have known about this from the beginning they they might have constructed it better but they didn't
2: no, that's really true. Because in the end, you know, it's it's almost like they said to themselves, what holes can we fill in here? Right. I know, I know that birthday party. Um, right. But it can't just be that the girl was embarrassed that the drunk mom was at the birthday party. Let's have them be really sister. Yeah. And but I wonder, here's what I wonder. If they've got Little House on the Prairie in their movie and they've set her up to be a a maniacal killer, I wonder if somebody was like, I don't think the world's ready for that. I don't (laughs) think the world is ready for the blind girl from Little House on the Prairie to have murdered all of these teens. I think we need to come up with a different ending. Did she go blind? Wasn't she the one? Wasn't she the one that went blind on Little House on the Prairie?
1: I don't remember. I know she was in it. I don't. No,
2: I think she was the older sister. <laughs> she I think, went blind. Was in- I think so. I think she was. I never watched
1: Little House on the Prairie. I don't really know. I but did, I did. Have- but I didn't follow it to the blind to, to the blind storyline. We're getting off the track here. Melissa Sue Anderson is yes, her name. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's a bad movie. And the the one who played Anne, the planner, she went on to be. She may still be on uh, Young and the Restless. She was on Young and the Restless forever.
2: She was on, she's been on a lot of different soap operas. And that's, that's what she, when you see her in this movie, you're like, oh yeah, you're going to go on to be on soap (laughs) operas for the next 35 years.
1: So (laughs) Anne, happy birthday to me. That's our number four in Maniacal Planner. So we go up to number three on Corey's list. This is a good, this is probably one that most everyone would think of right away but only number three so you know we've got good still to come so what do you got
0: for number three Corey? it has to be jigsaw from soar there are ways to win this hidden all around you just remember
1: x marks the spot for the treasure let the game begin
0: this is the ultimate in in planning right like th- this guy always has a plan and Throughout the series, it got more and more ridiculous. But here in this first one, I mean, this is a planner who really did kind of see every angle and know how it would play out. So, uh, you know, and of course, it's a bunch of Australian guys who made it. So, you know, (laughs) Uh, Homer. I have to give a shout out to uh, James 1 and Lee 1L, of course. There are a couple of Aussie guys who made it in the industry. And I mean, the script alone for this is amazing, let alone what they managed to do with the budget they had.
1: Yeah, and of course, Tobin Bell uh, plays Jigsaw. And I think Hope and I both, we don't have as much love for this movie uh, as a lot of people do. But I will say that the first time I saw it, that twist at the end when the, you know, he's been alive the whole time in that room, that was pretty slick
2: and even though some of the you know the the other episodes in the series and and there are too many and most of them are bad but but still the uh, he is such a he he just is now horror's ultimate mastermind you know and then the um the idea from the beginning that he's he's chosen these people he's followed them he knows everything about them he set up these very specific ways that he knows that they're going to probably fail but if they succeed You know, then they're going to go on to be psychotic killers for the rest of their lives and they're going to be, you know, disciples and do the same thing. It it was incredibly clever.
0: Yeah. Well, and I I guess I should put the caveat on it. When it comes to Sore, I mean, the movie, no pun intended, lives or dies with. Carrie L. West and Lee L in that room, you know, there is a lot of side stuff. And uh, I will give it up to Shawnee Smith. She's pretty good. But I mean, when they they cut away and they're following Danny Glover and all that sort of stuff going on, and you're just like, all right. So we're getting away from the point here. Uh, Jigsaw. We want more about Jigsaw.
2: Yeah. And, and it's funny because I think you can tell just even from the second one, which was clearly not nearly as good as, as happens, right? The second in a series. Um, that all of the world was like, we just need more Jigsaw. We need more of what he's talking about, what he's up to, what the plans are. Because the second one really, that's all it is. It's just a maze of these traps that have been plotted out specifically because of these uh, different people's weaknesses, it, you know, it, it really zeros in just on his thought process. And so that you can try to then sort of counteract the plan, like think it backwards. Okay. So what, what would be his ultimate goal? How do I step back from there? You know, it's, it is a very clever concept.
1: It is. And are we getting, we're getting another one, right? We have what Chris Rock is, uh, is involved in a in,
2: spiral. Yeah. It was supposed to come out this year.
1: You're right. Well, there's a lot of things. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so we can look forward to that, but yeah, no doubt about it. A, uh, incredibly ingenious planner that is jigsaw from 2004 saw Corey's number three moving up to our number three and this is this is a, a great character from a film that we uh, have a lot of love for we just talked about recently didn't we on another on another episode this is from 10 cloverfield lane from 2016 howard after i saved you and kept you safe this is how you repay me
2: no This is one of the things I love about this movie is that you don't get to Howard's plan. And, you you know, until midway through the film, it just seems like as far as you can tell, this good dude who's trying to do good. And then as the plan starts to unveil itself, you realize, first of all, he's a very meticulous planner. Very frustratingly meticulous planner. And second of all, he is not a good dude at all.
1: Oh, and I know. I remember the first time that we watched it and when all of a sudden he comes out and his hair is combed and he's freshly shaven like he's going courting. And you were like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like
0: the creepiest I, some ice cream. ever. I think the, the, the interesting thing about 10 Cloverfield Lane is about how layered the film is. When you're watching it, you're thinking... Okay, how is this related to Cloverfield, the first movie that I saw? And then it starts just peppering in all the different layers of Howard having worked in the military, something with satellites. Mm-hmm. Why are we in this bunker? What's going on outside? We don't know, you know And it just keeps keeps going, keeps revealing, and like you said, Howard uh, overall does have a plan and it does unfold as the movie goes along and you're rooting for Mary Elizabeth Winstead the whole time. he's like, what, what is she going to do to get out of this situation?
1: Yeah, and it's essentially a three-act play. Uh, Winstead is great. John Goodman is fantastic. And John Gallagher uh, is great as well. And they, they interact so well together. But what's also great about the way it's constructed is, first it's like, oh, okay, we get it. The, the terror is not out there. It's in here. But then no, it's out there too, and that that that's great. The way they kind of bait and switch you, but then no, you're not really the bait and switch. So you're constantly trying to second guess, and they're still ahead of you.
2: Also, you're right. I mean, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is so good in everything she does. I mean, she's one of those people that I'm compelled to to watch no matter what she's in, and and she was really a great choice for you know the the hero of this movie because after everything that goes on inside that building, you're like I.
0: I like her chances out there with the wild. I think she might be okay. Well, and I mean, how often do you get to see a vat of acid in a movie as well? So,
1: <laughs> there's, is that another podcast right there? Vat of acid. <laughs>
0: vat of acid horror. I love it.
1: And this, of course, was directed by Dan Treckenberg, who we just found out here recently that Bill, the, uh, the beans got spilled, that he is working on the next installment of Predator. So uh, apparently he wanted to keep that secret, but too bad. It's it's out as things things get out. So we'll see. That could be interesting. But yeah, that's that's a film and I know a lot of people I've seen over the years go back and forth. Some people think it's a big letdown. I don't. I think it's it's tremendously engaging.
2: I loved it. Oh th- yeah.
1: Throughout the whole thing. And uh you know, yes, does it is it's it is hard to figure out how it fits in the Cloverfield quote unquote universe, but hey, it's it's in the title, so fine. <laughs> um, but that is uh Howard, a great planner from uh Ten Cloverfield Lane. That's our number three so we're moving we're moving and grooving let's go up to number two on cory's list and this is a movie boy i had pretty much I'll, I'll be honest i'd pretty much forgotten about this until hope you were talking about it about this list uh with me earlier today but that's a it's a good call what's your number two cory
0: okay so i'm going with peter foley in copycat
1: i got disciples too and they ain't just dying to do whatever i ask them to do as long as i just Say the word, Doc. I'm death
0: and life to you, Doc. Death and life. I mean, this film, I remember seeing when I was younger, and it kind of just stuck with me. You know, this idea of a well-planned killer who is copycatting well-known serial killers. You know, this whole phenomenon of the celebrity serial killer, and this guy who wants in on that. It's a fascinating film, and I, I just think this film has tremendous performances, not only from William McNamara, but Sigourney Weaver uh, and Holly Hunter in the lead roles.
2: Yeah, I think that was the draw for us initially, back when we saw it the first time. I mean, you know, Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver are two of just the greatest, and, uh, and it was a, a fun idea to watch them in a movie together, and, um, and then the fact that they were doing of all things together, a horror movie about serial killers. I thought, I I think that this is just a written invitation to me.
0: Well, and a look at post-traumatic stress disorder as well with Sigourney Weaver's character. She herself had been attacked by a killer in a a cameo performance by Harry Connick Jr., who... I mean, wow. Like, <laughs> he, he just goes off the rails in this movie. Uh, but, yeah, we we do get, like, a lot of introspective stuff when it comes to the post-traumatic stress of the victim. And then you've got the Holly Hunter character, which is, you know, she's actually not that dissimilar to a Clarice Starling. Sure. Um, and... As the two of them work together to try and, yes, track down this guy who is playing with them, you know, he's he's constantly setting up his crime scenes and then later he starts sending them letters and the way he comes and goes from certain areas uh, you know, the, the police station talks that Sigourney Weaver was giving, you know, you, you see him around throughout the whole film, moving silently among everybody. It's very creepy and very effective.
2: Yeah, I think one of the reasons that that is so effective is because part of what she says, part of what Sigourney Weaver's character says is that serial killers are like that. They blend in. They're just white guys. They just blend in. You don't even notice them. And so I think the fact that then in the end, what they show you is, Yep. That's exactly right. But I want to just ask, I mean, is he really the planner?
0: (laughs) I really had to think about it before I put it on the list. It (laughs) it is one that immediately came to mind, but I revisited it. And I think, yeah, he he definitely has a plan. You know, he is leaking information as he wants the police and Sigourney Weaver to no, you know, so he he's always in complete control, and he's moving towards a goal, which is to ultimately get his hands on Helen Hudson Sigourney Weaver.
2: so then I'm not gonna say, but he does have some help. That's all I'm saying. He does have a little help in his planning, but <laughs> not that I you know, I'm not that worried, I suppose about spoiling a twenty five year old movie, except that I don't <laughs> think that many people have seen it, and it is definitely right.
1: worth revisiting, yeah, especially just for having Holly Hunter and, and Sigourney Weaver. Oh, together. yeah, that's great, but I had pretty much forgotten about it. I really had, but that's a that's a good one. That is number two. For Corey's list, Peter Foley, with some help from uh, from Copycat. <laughs> and up to number two for us, this is one that we just talked about last time out, and we've talked about many times out, and why not? It is Master Planner G Tai Yu from Old Boy two thousand three. Yeah,
2: I think it was when we were talking about because in our, as, as I said in our last podcast was on incest. And so, again, apologies because another big fat spoiler if you haven't seen Old Boy. But if you haven't seen Old Boy, what, what is going on with you? <laughs> um, but so But as we were talking about the film for the last podcast, I thought to myself, Oh, there's a planner I totally forgot about.
1: And not only, and a, and a patient planner.
2: Oh, yes, and meticulous. I mean, this guy's got everything planned out. He knows what revenge he needs to seek. He knows what's going to be the worst thing this guy could do. He's going to put him in the same boat. He's going to take 15 years to get in there. Oh, my God. It was, yeah,
0: just chef's kiss. It was so good. Well, and using the very thing that you love As a tool of your revenge, you know, it's it's that kind of like mind blowing thing. Like when you get to the ultimate conclusion, your head just explodes.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, given what what this guy's mad about, it makes perfect sense that this is that this is the revenge he's going to seek. He's going to he's going to get you to the point where you feel the way he feels and you got him in trouble for that and cost him everything that mattered to him. It's just such a perverse and twisted route. I mean, it doesn't, you know, on the surface, if you just say that, you know, uh, you think there'd be a lot of revenge right, tales that right. could fit that. But the unseemly depths, and as you said last time, George, the, the longer it goes on, the more it seems like it ought to feel pulpy, but it really doesn't.
1: Exactly. If you were just going to, without anyone knowing, if you were just going to read the list of the plot points, it, you'd be going, what? But and, and you saw some of that with, Spike Lee's imagining, which was totally misguided, but as as great a filmmaker as he is, that didn't work. But anyway, but this one, it doesn't. You don't start rolling your eyes at the pulpiness of it at all. You're just, you're going, oh no. Oh
2: yeah, completely (laughs) riveting. And one of the most riveting movies I've ever seen.
0: Well, and I think it's a very good look at human nature as well. And and can you actually have a plan that pegs somebody on the level of their human nature? You know, what are they going to do uh, down the line and how do I plan for that? You know, so it's it's amazing how uh, organized, you know, the whole thing is.
1: Yeah. And just the fact that he did, he was just willing to wait all those years. You know, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get mine. Just waited and waited and waited and then have it come to fruition. Amazing. Amazing. And that is number two, tai Yu from Old Boy in 2003. And what's great about this list is we all come together at the top. We all have a... Same number one, and it's it's pretty easy. I mean, it should be easy if you're thinking about planners in horror movies. I don't know who else was a better planner, right down to what's in the box, than John Doe from Seven.
0: Give me your gun. What's going on over there? Put the,
1: put the gun I down. I saw you
0: with the box. What was in the box?
1: Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No,
0: oh, what's in the box? Not give me the What's gun? in the fucking box? Give me the gun. He just told you. You lied! You're a fucking liar! Shut up! That's what he wants. He, wa- he wants you to shoot him. No! What's in the box indeed. I, I think that's what I love about this movie is there's so many iconic moments. You know, there's, there's moments throughout the film that just really WTF you the whole time, right? Like, you just like the imagery and and the mastery of the storytelling here from David Fincher. I absolutely adore this film. It is just, it's so well-planned. And uh, the performances from everybody down the line, it's just stellar.
1: And a couple of things worth mentioning after all these years, and when we find out certain things about the movie, was number one, that they decided to keep Kevin Spacey's name out of the opening credits. What a brilliant move. Brilliant move. Because then that just came out of nowhere. You wouldn't have been thinking, well, where's Kevin Spacey? That was brilliant. And then there's been much talk since the movie came out about how Brad Pitt, I think maybe Brad Pitt himself or maybe Morgan Freeman as well, just held firm about the ending. It would not be changed.
2: Brad Pitt, it was in his contract when he signed his contract that no, you know, no amount of notes or producer meddling could change that ending. It had to end the way it ended it in the script and otherwise, he wouldn't sign the contract. And there was a great deal of effort to get him to change his mind so right. that it wouldn't be such a bleak ending, that, so that it would have more mass audience appeal, and they, they didn't get a chance to do it. And also, Brad Pitt bought all of his own ties.
1: <laughs> right, right. Because he wanted, he wanted the character to have bad fashion sense. But yeah, I think one of the, twi- one of the, the um, adjustments they wanted to make, one of the many, I think, that was discussed, was having Morgan Freeman's character do the shooting it's so i'm so glad they stuck to their guns
2: right? because that ruins everything which is what they were trying to do like we all didn't want this guy to have his final plan all worked out perfectly and it did it worked out perfectly it worked out exactly as he knew it was going to so why wreck that producers morgan freeman's character didn't do anything wrong
0: well and i think it's about layering the levels of shit in this movie as well if you know what i mean like the whole thing is set up to be kind of like crappy you know that that the, the, the Town is crappy and the people in it are crappy and Morgan Freeman's had this long career that, and he just knows how crappy people are and he never got married and never had children. Uh, but you think, okay, so something's going to come of this. He's going to train this new hotshot detective. Brad Pitt's going to come in and no, no, it's, it's going to get worse for everybody. And it's just going to keep that, that shit level is just going to keep going. <laughs>
1: yeah and it looks so dark the whole the film is so dark. there was a chemical process apparently called bleach bypass, where they took the silver in the film stock was not removed, and that deepened the dark, shadowy images in the film. This is a dark i mean colored dark movie,
2: yeah, which matches of course the content and it's so it's so interesting because um, you know each of the seven deadly sins that they get to is like you're hard pressed to choose the one that affects you the most so i think for uh-huh. you it's sloth
1: <laughs> they're all pretty bad
2: yeah it, uh, <sighs> yeah sloth is sloth i think really gets to so many people on it but for me it's lust when and it's just the guy the guy from you know alien 4 who's just sitting there with this contraption on him going get it off me get it off me get it off me this is a movie that just goes to some dark depths without showing much violence it's very interesting in that way
1: and it's actually you bring up the sloth scene because filming that scene the officers were not told that the victim was going to jump oh my god (laughs) so their their reaction was real that's awesome
0: that is oh, awesome. God, I'm having a visceral reaction just thinking about <laughs> it. Yes, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great scene. I I think I'm with you. Like, that's just you're like, oh my god, that is so horrifying that he's just had this guy tied up. No, he's alive still. Yeah, it's even worse. Oh yeah. It's a
1: perfect testament to how well he planned that at the end. All of a sudden, you know, Morgan Freeman's like John Doe is in control. He is in control. He has, he ha- and just like he planned it, yeah, he has yeah. control.
2: Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I thought is that it definitely, I mean, I'm not saying, it got, I think it got most everybody. You know, people didn't expect that this is how it's going to work out, but I'm so familiar with the seven deadly sins that I was immediately hooked in this movie, and I was just like counting them off, and I'm waiting to see which one comes next. And it should have occurred to me, it should have occurred to me that Brad Pitt's character was wrath and it didn't now it wouldn't have made much sense that early on for me to have known that John Doe was envy that would not have made much sense but I was very upset with myself that I didn't realize this was all going to be about Brad Pitt because clearly that is who he is so kudos and plus you know none of us knew none of us knew how great Fincher was at this point in his career right he'd only really done well he did well he did the game right which was yeah people loved uh-huh. and he had to hit alien three which is um you know a little bit of a mess but but in retrospect you realize, that movie <laughs> yeah right but it, but i don't think i don't think any of us knew what fincher was until after we saw seven
1: and by the way since we're talking about fincher we just got a chance to see just last night we saw his new one mank oh my god and it's great it is so great it's going to be up for many oscars I all think. of them
0: well um, oh,
1: yeah i want to say it yeah it is really really good um, but, yeah, this was constructed so well um, to p- throw people like you off. Because, yeah, you look back on it now, I should have seen that coming. Well, that's because he's rolled it out so well. Yeah, and uh, such a great job and such a great job of planning by John Doe. He is in control. And that is seven from 1995, both Corey and our number one on the list of maniacal planners. That was fun. That was some good choices, that Corey.
0: was. Yes, yeah, thank you. I had a lot of fun coming up with that list.
1: <laughs> and now we're on to acid vats in horror. That'll be fun. That'll be fun next. And you already mentioned you have your, is that your
0: next podcast? House on Haunted Hill.
1: <laughs> She's already back here. She's writing it on a napkin. Um, you mentioned your Hitchcock podcast. Is that your next one?
0: That's right. Yes. Uh, Dialing for Murder is our next episode. It's a monthly podcast and we just randomly draw Hitchcock films, and we're aiming to get through every single one of them. So Holy I we're about up to twenty somewhat episodes now. Yeah, that's a big job. But how <laughs> it's, fun yeah, is it's that? Fifty-four features. So, yeah, yeah,
2: that's. I mean, that's the most fun idea ever. Because it's not like you're going. You know, even a bad Hitchcock is better than most anything else you're going to watch.
0: Well, that's just it, and that's the purpose of it. Is that I, you know, I'd call myself a Hitchcock fan, but I, I haven't seen half of his oeuvre. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, uh, it's quite the purpose of it. You know, we're, and we've really uncovered some real gems.
1: Awesome. I love this idea awesome great idea alright so where, where can we find you out there on uh, the webs
0: well yeah, I mean aside from presenting Hitchcock I also have The Rewatch Podcast sure. as well so we're always rewatching, you know old movies movie series TV series we're talking about Dawson's Creek right now believe it or not you know it's a <laughs> wow. far cry from uh, any horror movie I think we've talked <laughs> today but <laughs> yeah so uh, reach out to us through The Rewatch Podcast is podcast at gmail.com and of course listen and subscribe it's the the best way to interact with me um, online
1: yeah all right perfect well let us know what you thought about any of these planners did we miss any did we miss number any always easy to find us on twitter it's at fright club pod and we love to keep the conversation going also you can find us on facebook and instagram at mad wolf columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written movie reviews every week and our other all genre podcast called The Screening Room. That's all at madwolf.com. So I know as as far as the Fright Club goes, we're going into, pretty soon, we'll have to count down the best of the year.
2: That is the next episode, George.
1: The next episode. Are we going to go StreamYard? If you want to. All right. I think we're going to go StreamYard for the next episode. But uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking Maniacal Planners, Corey Metcalf from the Rewatch Podcast and Counting Down the Hitchcocks Fantastic job. Always good to talk to you.
2: Yeah, it's so great to hear from you, Corey. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad to do it. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club podcast. What do you say, Corey? Take us out.
0: Stay frightful and organized, my friends. (laughs)